Welcome. You're listening to the Consensus State Change Podcast, an interview series inspired by the emerging decentralization phenomenon. Everyone's throat's cleared. (laughs) (laughs) Loud and clear. Thanks for joining us again on another episode of the State Change Podcast. Today, I am here again with Martin Lundfall. Thanks for joining me, Martin. We're going to be talking about the Cotricity Project. Yeah, thanks for having me here. So can you tell us a bit about Cotricity, Martin? Sure. Um, So Cotricity is a project that Consensus is working with uh, together with RWE. Uh, a, a large utility company in Germany um, and throughout Europe in general. And we are building a platform that allows for people to uh, trade energy peer-to-peer and uh, also track the origin of green renewable energy. So what are the roots of the project? So we're trying to explore the question of giving people ownership of their own energy. We're trying to look into what we can do for prosumers that are generating their own electricity to make them actually have a choice on where that energy goes. And so um, we've been doing another uh, project uh, before in collaboration uh, with a microgrid here in Brooklyn. That was the transactive grid. And um, similar to that in scope, we are now looking into um, how we can bring more sovereignty over uh, their own energy to the prosumers. So the uh, the Cotricity project itself, what uh, you give the prosumer an option to determine where the electricity that they produce goes and you uh, provide a means for establishing provenance of electricity. What exactly does this look like in a real world setting? Yeah, so um, we are collecting prosumers and matching them up with small businesses like a supermarket or a school or a power plant. And basically what we're trying to do is to uh, go straight between the consumer of the energy and the producer of the energy. And uh, we want to give the prosumers an ability to support their neighborhood by uh, matching up their surplus production Um, to the consumption of nearby small businesses. And so what it actually looks like is that um, we are looking at weather forecast data of the prosumers, and we are, um, based off that, um, estimating their production. We're storing that on the blockchain, and then uh, we include logic uh, in another smart contract allowing this um, records to be transferred between participants. Now, this is interesting. So you're not directly measuring the output of each prosumer. You're estimating their output based on weather conditions and the equipment that they have. Yeah. And so um, this is actually how a large part of the energy market actually looks like. It's mostly dealt with, uh, it's mostly dealing with prediction and 
um, the expected output of energy, because if we already have the meter readings, then in some sense that energy has already been consumed, and so the trading would be after the fact. Um, still, it's useful for reconciliation purposes to actually know that um, the producers could account for the amount of energy that they actually sold. Um, but right now, we're mostly focusing on uh, prediction. And so, when you predict a uh, when you predict production and consumption, there has to be some kind of slippage. So, I presume that that is absorbed by the grid. Yeah. So, um, there's a lot of regulation uh, that is really trying to um, help the grid maintain its uh, load balance because that's obviously the um, difficult and intricate part of this whole system is to make sure that the energy uh, is always present in the system, that the lights always stays on. Um, and that means that there's a lot of um, rules and regulations also on the people operating the grid um, to make sure that everything is always balanced. And um, right now we're dealing with a fairly small set of people, and so we don't have to worry too much about that yet. But the uh, prediction and, and tracking of energy that we are doing will probably uh, only make that process more efficient because we will know um, more exactly how much energy is uh, floating around in the grid. And that's because effectively you're uh, you're taking this data and comparing it with uh, predictive models and continually refining those. Yeah, exactly. So, what were the conditions that made the this project um, appealing to uh, RWE in the first place? Um, so, RWE was very interested in blockchain technology in general, and they saw um, that there could be a uh, huge thing happening with um, you know giving people the opportunity to decide for themselves to a greater extent what happens to their energy and so they've been really interested in exploring exactly what kinds of models make sense uh, to use in the system and uh, yeah it's really uh, great to have them on board with their expertise in the field. So when you say that they were looking at what would work in the system, so they were considering developing something like this. They had an, they, there was a uh, there was a market imperative for uh, for producing a system that could connect prosumers directly with uh, the consumers of their uh, of the electricity that they were producing. So what about the market that RWE was um, was involved in? made this particularly appealing to them? So RWE has uh, an innovation hub, and it's called the RWE Innovation Hub. And uh, it's uh, basically an accelerator or, you know, a think uh, experimental tank that uh, is uh, looking into a lot of experimental new projects. And they did a pilot project called Power, um, without the E, uh, because that's the way people do things now, Tumblr and whatever. Um, <laughs> and that was based on the same premise of peer-to-peer -peer energy trading. Um, and I think it was a way for them to um, really figure out that the blockchain is actually here to improve our lives and we need to utilize it. It's interesting that a power company saw the utility of a blockchain. Yeah, um, 
it's interesting and um we're really interested in seeing where this leads um because it could go in a lot of different directions um the question is whether it's something that is mainly of interest to regulators because they want to see more transparency in the grid or if it's the prosumers that are really going to be benefiting the most out of this um or if it is you know a new way for a utility to have a more efficient process of um trading energy and it might be a combination of all of those what is the direct economic benefit to the prosumer and the consumer? Is there one, or is this just a uh, just a way of bringing more information and uh, and control to our energy consumption? I think there is a direct benefit um, to both the prosumer and the consumer um, because we have an ability to match them up more closely uh, than they have before, and we can um, look. Uh, and that's why we're looking at uh, small supermarkets and uh, prosumers because their um, production curves and consumption curves uh, match pretty well together when the sun is out and it's uh, really warm and the uh, solar panels are producing producing a lot of energy then that is the same time where the supermarkets are having a lot of air conditioning on and they consume a lot of power um and that's why we've chosen this um, consumer-to-business model in the first place. So you've got this perfect match between prosumer solar production and supermarket consumption. And you use that, the production and consumption curves match. What other pr- production and consumption curves do you feel can be matched up uh, in the future? And do you think that this is a way – and do you think this is a way we could incentivize – the specific means of generating power for a specific region. Absolutely. If you look at uh, what the load balancing of the grid actually looks like, um, the number one, or I don't know, number one, one of the large problems uh, with load balancing is that you have a peak um, at some point of the day uh, and you need to have enough power for that peak and it doesn't matter how low electricity needs are for the rest of the day, you still need to have that one power plant that maybe um, suffices to provide energy for everybody at that point. And so it would be very uh, beneficial to everybody involved if that peak could be spread out during the day. And maybe if the peak is happening in the morning when everybody is putting on their little coffee pots and, and taking a shower and using up all the water, we could possibly incentivize people to do those things at other times. And since we have the blockchain as a means of incentivizing people, one could imagine a system where um, you are rewarded for not contributing to uh, consumption of energy at peak hours. Um, And expanding on that, one could also look at um, factories deciding uh, when to do their production based on when the energy is the cheapest. So because you have this granular control of pricing, you can develop incentive mechanisms to uh, encourage the specific behavior to manipulate the consumption curves of the grid to match the production curves of what might be the most productive means of generating uh, power in the region. Exactly. So 
we want to have an efficient uh, grid and an efficient power system. And having a really large peak uh, makes it pretty expensive. And if we can use some of the money that we might save by not having an extra power plant to support the peak hours, then we could use that money to incentivize people to not contribute to consumption at those hours. So it's another instance of mechanism design where we have a goal in mind, which is to optimize the um, grid efficiency. And we have a means of incentivizing the uh, players involved in this game um, by giving them certain benefits for um, not using their energy at certain times or storing their energy in batteries and uh, contributing that energy back to the grid at certain times. And we can think of all sorts of schemes that we can cook up. And the real power of this is that now we suddenly have a way where we can architect the kind of energy economy that we are best fit to uh, to produce, to, to live in. Yeah, exactly. And that's a really interesting uh, problem to solve. Using this, uh, this predictive data and, uh, and this, all of this additional information and the, uh, the ability to trade cryptographic tokens, it seems like there's an opportunity here for a new kind of commodity, maybe. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of financial layers that can be built on top of this. Um, basically, as soon as we have um, data of predicted production and consumption and then the actual meter data at a later stage, we can uh, imagine all sorts of financial speculation that can happen on top of that. Maybe there is a party that is especially keen to taking a risk of... Uh, you know, ensuring that the uh, prediction matches the consumption a lot. Um, and you basically have a futures market happening um, on top of these uh, data points that we're now building. And that can smooth out the, uh, the cost curve of energy. Yeah. And I think especially with all of the things that we are building now on the blockchain, like prediction markets um, and other forms of financial instruments that we can have a lot of interesting uh, emergent behavior that will hopefully lead to a more efficient grid in the future. What emergent behavior exactly? Essentially, what I um, hope the result will be is uh, better uh, predictions and more players involved that can mitigate the risk that uh, would otherwise be in the hands of the prosumer. So this would make it uh, more profitable, easier, and uh, so this would make it more profitable and easier for a person to throw solar panels up on the house and expect to have a uh, a neutral or positive return on those within a predefined time frame, and that would be something that people could be more confident that they would uh, that they would receive. Exactly. So we're trying to give people more out of their solar panels. Um, economically but also in terms of choice and provenance no sovereignty <laughs> fantastic thanks a bunch martin thanks take it easy thanks for listening to state change check out consensusmedia.net for more